Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com or FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch With Jen and Friends. If Watch With Jen is the studio track, this is the acoustic version. Today's guest is Kristen Lopez, one of the first friends I made on Twitter. I've been following Kristen Lopez's intelligent, insightful work since the days of her blog, Journeys in Classic Film. A fellow disabled critic with a fresh eye and fierce wit, as a talented freelance writer, Kristen's work has appeared in such publications as Forbes, MTV, RogerEbert.com, and Slash Film. Now the TV editor of IndieWire, go Kristen, awesome. In her free time, she hosts the classic film podcast, Ticklish Business, which I've linked to in this post. And I'm absolutely thrilled to have her on Watch with Jen and Friends. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you for asking me to do it. I'm, I'm always happy when someone lets me on their podcast to ramble. So Are you kidding? You. You're awesome, of course. <laughs> thank well, you so much. How are you doing and how are you adapting to quarantine life? Um, you know, it's it's okay. I mean, I as a freelancer for the last 12 years, I'm used to working at home, but the difference is is working from home, I was still able to be like, "Oh, and go do stuff, you know, there's, I can go do this and we work in and now there's nothing to do. So I know it <laughs> feel longer, but you know, I'm managing, I have my job, you know, everything's good financially, so I can't complain. That's wonderful. And congratulations again on the new IndieWire job. It's so well-deserved. And <laughs> I just wanted to ask, has it made a big difference? with your IndieWire work now that so much stuff is being made available to stream? Do you have like a lot more to do now? You know, it's odd. It's very much business as usual for me, which is weird because I've watched more TV probably in the last month that I've had this job than I have in the subsequent 10 years. TV was not my, <laughs> wasn't my beat. It was film. And now they, I'm working the TV side and there is no film to write about. I'm still, you know, navigating interviews and, and writing pieces. So it's really no different to me. It's just the medium is different. And the, you know, the, the films, quote unquote, are longer and broken up into, you know, 40 minute hour increments. Yes. That old debate, is it a TV show or is it a film? Have you discovered anything new now that you're watching more TV that you're really into? Oh, gosh. Uh, I finished Mrs. America last week, which okay. I'm in love with. So when that comes on FX on Hulu, I heartily recommend it. Um, and I just finished Never Have I Ever for Netflix that comes out on the 17th. So okay. if you are a fan of, you know, coming of age teen dramedy, it's really cute. So thankfully, I haven't had to watch a lot of stuff that I disliked. So even, you know, most of what I've, I've called dibs on is stuff I've been interested in. So mm -hmm. it hasn't been a series of like, oh, I got to watch this and I don't care about it. So if anything, I think I have more freedom with this than I did with film where we were all kind of consuming the same things and then coming up with opinions. I can be a bit more choosy about what I decide to spend seven hours with. 
That's a good thing. And yeah, with film, we just kind of had to go to all these same movies where it's like, I wouldn't choose this normally. So that's awesome. And can what can you tell us too about your podcast, Ticklish Business, for those who don't know about it? I'm going to be sure to link to it here. It's awesome. But anything you can tell us? Yeah. So I have just realized that Ticklish Business has been going on I want to say three years. I could be very wrong on that. Wow. Uh, we're, we're gearing up to uh, have our 100th episode, 100th official episode, not counting some of the bonus stuff and the outside recordings that I've done. So we're trying to plan some really cool things with the TCM family and some other maybe special guests as we go on that road to 100. And we just recorded our episode on The Sword in the Stone. We're doing our series of would have been at the TCM Film Festival movie movies so it's been very sweet recording those episodes and I've been editing a a lot of interviews so it's been a lot of work and especially now that people have free time I'm trying to strike while the iron's hot and getting people on so it's been a lot of fun and it's always great to do the podcast because classic films really are for so many people for me as well a bomb in times of struggle and I think Watching them now really helps people have that sense of normality. So getting together with Dre and Sam, my co-hosts, and talking about you know the 1930s or Gregory Peck or something like that just makes us feel like things are as normal as they can be. It gives us that little bit of an escape still. Yeah, they're a nice comfort. And what I love about TCM and especially the hashtag TCM Party, it really is a community. And you get to meet so many people who share your passion for classic movies. Do you think TCM, I was going to ask you what your favorite channel to watch on TV or your favorite streaming channel is. Would you go with TCM? I would definitely go with TCM. TCM is on my my house as many times as I can. I'm always either taping stuff or when I had cable, one of the biggest reasons I was so excited to get cable before I got slain was that I could use the Watch TCM app. So even if I miss yeah. stuff, I could I could revisit it. So I have a Criterion channel account, but I get so much from TCM that I don't use it as much as I want to. So that is definitely my go-to channel anytime my TV is on. For sure. Have you always been interested in like film history and writing about movies? Or what was it that first inspired you? Yeah, it's always... Film's always been something that I remember loving you know my mom showing me the wizard of oz and stuff like that um you know for me i i learned a lot of interest in in old movies at least you know in seventh grade i had a history teacher show was and of the thousand days and i was the only one in class that liked it and i became obsessed with with history just at least british history but i didn't realize that there was this distinction between modern cinema the movies that i was watching growing up in the the late 90s versus this older style of cinema and it wasn't until i took a film class in high school before the electives pretty much just became the bare bones things and they figured film class wasn't anything you needed um that i really became interested in classic cinema and the history of that i'd always been into weird historical niches with regards to film, but classic film really became my thing right around high school. And once I started writing, I realized that a lot of what I was drawing from was the history of cinema and how it was being applied today. So it's always been something. 
that I've been interested in. And it always feels weird to say because it wasn't ever something I pursued. It was more just kind of this osmosis that blended into my life. Yeah, it's interesting how that happens, how you can be fascinated by something and then soon it just becomes your passion and what you do. I had kind of a sort of similar thing in junior high. I think I'm a bit older than you. It was like, I think I want to say 92. We had to write a biographical paper and I chose Charlie Chaplin just because I had a crush on Robert Downey Jr. and just became (laughs) totally obsessed with uh, Charlie Chaplin after I rented a few of the movies and I read his autobiography. And that really set me on the path of writing about movies. My teacher, like, entered my paper without telling me in some district writing competition and won. And then I was told, yeah, you should write about movies more. And it was like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. So it's interesting how just being attracted to something or liking movies can suddenly then become your reason for doing what you do. So I love that you found that in high school. The Anne of a Thousand Days story is great. Um, I know you're really well read and you are an avid reader of classic film books. You know so much about history. I'm always just completely in awe of your knowledge. Do you have any recommendations for people like your favorite classic film books or what you've read lately? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, now is a great time to to get into some. I should mention a lot of what I love is not short, but it's a great time to get into some of it. Janine Basinger is always my go-to author yeah. of film history, whether that's uh, her book about I do and I, or, and I don't about marriage, the history of marriage in movies. She just put out a huge tome about the movie musical, and that's an incredibly comprehensive book if you want to find out about the history of the musical. Um, the Star Machine, I don't know the author offhand, but that's a great one if you're into the concept of star persona, the creation of various celebrities. Um, so those are those are the ones that I go to. And I'm also a big fan of books that at least make me feel like there's a classic film connection. I read a lot of, you know, Max Allen Collins, old school mystery books that have that old Hollywood <laughs> feel. So even if you aren't into nonfiction, there are plenty of authors that bleed Um, historical old Hollywood knowledge into fiction narratives that are definitely worth seeking out. Absolutely. One thing, again, I also admire about you is as a disabled woman, I just want to thank you for your great work. It's so important to add your voice to the conversation when it comes to movies because it's underrepresented. And what do you think? Do you think disability representation is getting better or worse on film? And what would you personally like to see or change? Oh, that's that's a loaded question. Uh, I feel <laughs> like disability representation in media is a bit stagnant. Yes. There is this chronic acknowledgement that it needs to be improved upon. And yet the movement has been very slow. For every peanut butter falcon, there's, you know, the upside or me before you. I feel like once, about once a year, we get a disabled movie, whether that's positive or negative, and that's about it. So if the statistics were we were getting zero before, I don't know if one necessarily is better than nothing. (laughs) Um, There's certainly more of an awareness of it, which is great, but now we're at the point where 
we want more than awareness. We want action. We want production. And we certainly want production of movies that are in some way involved with the disabled community. And not necessarily, for me at least, in, in terms of casting, but in terms of directing and screenwriting, the tech crew, it's very easy to cast inclusive. It's another thing to have a disabled person writing your script or directing your movie. And so I always say that if the concept is there's some sort of excuse for why you can't cast a disabled person to star in your film, the least you can do then is have a disabled person as your costumer or your below-the-line crew, you know, in terms of Mm -hmm. giving people those opportunities. And not everybody wants to be an actor. I don't want to be an actor. I don't, you know, so so there's, there's more avenues for disabled representation than just casting us in a movie. Um, and in terms of what I think needs to change, I mean, outside of the, the need for breaking down stereotypes and putting disabled people in positions of filmmaking outside of casting, I think it really just becomes the able-bodied response to our critiques about things. I get, mm-hmm. I have a lot of, you know, friends and, and close acquaintances who don't notice their own ableism when they bring up that a critique I have is, well, you know, it's it's not that big a deal. You know, you're asking for too much. And my response always is, we're at a time where we're, we're so fervent about inclusion and diversity. But if the minute somebody says disability, you shut them down, then we're not, you're not really inclusive. You're not really diverse. So there needs to be more of an, an awareness, I think, amongst disabled or amongst able-bodied viewers that the minute they want to write a comment that starts with, well, <laughs> this is why we can't have that, then you're part of the problem. You're the person that a studio is listening to that says, well, nobody wants to see this. Yes. Gosh, you make so many good points, and it is so <laughs> yeah. important. You should be in charge of this. No, it's so you. important <laughs> to have to think about. Yeah, your cast um, is great and everything, but the tech people, like you said, the costumers, especially also the writing. Um, you can definitely tell sometimes when it totally doesn't ring true. I mean, we always say that. We can see that. It's been a joke with sometimes men writing movies with female characters, and that doesn't ring true. It's the same thing with disability. And I think it's important to understand that we can be a part of all of the different departments. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a time where we've broken so many barriers and we we know what racism looks like we know what sexism looks like we don't accept those in movies when they happen and disability is this uncharted frontier and it's very frustrating when it is utilized inappropriately and you feel like you're just yelling into the void it's this very small group of people and i've been fortunate to talk to a lot of other minority writers from different minority groups and when I bring up my issues to them they say you're not saying anything that we haven't said before and mm-hmm. we should all, all be working together that's not to say that our plights are the same our, our oppression it works on different levels but at the same time any minority voice especially in media just wants accurate representation they want to be able to get their foot in the door in some way and with disability it's it's harder because you're dealing with decades and decades of this belief of what a normal person looks like. 
and yep. the decades of stereotyping about, you know, institutionalized, nonverbal people that have mental disabilities. There's this, this sense that it's all of us. You know, mm-hmm. nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to go to a movie to see that. And it's very frustrating to to be like, well, nobody wants to go to a movie to watch violence, but that's very <laughs> prominent in cinema. You know, nobody wants to go to a movie to see misogyny, but that happens a lot. So it's really a multi-level thing of we need to rewire our brains in society. And I think a lot of it just goes towards the grander issues. I think if there was better representation of disability in media, our complaints about infrastructure, about government, about finances would be given more credibility because people would know what's going on. Now, nowadays, it's, you know, if, if I meet somebody and I tell them, they're like, oh, I didn't know that. I think if there was more media for them to see what was going on, there'd be more understanding. No, I agree. It's it's a reflection of society film, but it also helps impact our our views on things and i think it it would make a big difference absolutely um i know you have been fostering kittens because i've been seeing these like really adorable photos all over your social media so what's going on with that and do you have any other hobbies or what else have you been doing to keep yourself busy right now i mean it sounds like you're super busy but for fun (laughs) Yeah, I've been, uh, I, when I when I first moved here to LA, I kind of had a couple things that I, I wanted to do that I hadn't done before. And one of them was I wanted to foster kittens. And I did it last year. And we, we went through 11. Um, wow. Had 10 success uh, success stories. We lost one, unfortunately, due to um, some some medical issues. But it was, it was awesome. And I really loved it. And this year, I figured... I was going to wait till later in the year because of the summertime. And then once this whole quarantine thing happened, I was like, well, I guess now would be a great time to do it. So we have one right now and he is the little prince. Uh, oh. He is adorable, but he still hasn't really learned not to put your whole body in the bowl of food and then walk around. <laughs> or, you know, he's, he's right now he's trying to uh, pounce on everything, but his pounce is really pathetic because he's just so tiny. <laughs> Uh, but it's it's a lot of fun, and I love doing it. I don't know if this will be the year I keep one uh, to add to my house, but we shall see. Uh, and then in terms of other things, I mean, I do um, I do a classic film blog in my free time. I have so many classic movies that I just get sent from so many amazing uh, distribution companies that I have enough to probably open my own video store. <laughs> so <laughs> trying to at least spend some time getting some of those watched to just keep the classic film content out and the TCM classic film festival may not be happening this year in LA, but it is happening on TV. They're doing a little uh, at home edition that I'll be covering. So, uh, and then I have a mountain of library books that I checked out before the library closed. So I have no reason not to read those. So I have a, a lot of stuff, thankfully that I should be doing. And usually by the time work ends, I'm just like, eh, I'm done for the day. I'm just gonna put myself down. So I haven't been very good with any of it, but I'm trying. No, you're doing great. And I think right now we're all kind of drained by what's going on in the news and not sleeping the best. So yeah, just go easy on yourself. But it sounds like you have enough going on to help, like you said, as a balm with TCM and the adorable kittens. So I'm trying to do that. So what do you do exactly? Do you have them for a set period of time or how does it work? 
Yeah, the foster kittens, it's, um, it's you know, you fill out a little, a little form through the ASPCA, and they tell you what they have in stock, quote unquote. Um, <laughs> and then it's so, it's so hilarious. They actually have, they hire Uber and Lyft to deliver your kittens to you because they come from different parts of wow. LA and you might not be able to drive to. So we get a, you know, kitten in an Uber, which is adorable. Um, <laughs> and, and then we just keep them as long as we can, you know, if, if you have to move on or do something you can't have the cat in the house anymore they find new foster kitties or foster parents for them but i usually stay with mine up until um usually with, with any foster you have them until they get fixed um okay. and once they get fixed they either go to you know various pet stores in the area where they'll get adopted or the, um they'll actually send them out of state where there are kitten shortages i didn't know that certain states had shortages wow. here in uh here in la they usually send them to oregon and washington so no yeah. wow um if you're or if you're fortunate and you know friends i do a lot of you know promotion on twitter uh friends you know i have new friends on twitter i've met have come and adopted uh them so it's uh it's always stressful because you know i hate to send them out of state and put them on a plane and, and then i start thinking well maybe i should just keep all of them uh, but <laughs> I've been fortunate to find several of them really good homes in the area and, and a lot of the people that, that uh, adopt them, you know, they're okay with me being the annoying cat mom being like, Hey, just want to see how everything is. Send me a picture. I just want to know how they look. <laughs> That's wonderful. I mean, yeah, here in Phoenix, we definitely don't have a cat shortage. I didn't even know there were places that were in need of kittens. So this no is idea. so wonderful. <laughs> very it's very odd but uh you know i'm i'm happy that we they at least go somewhere where the odds that are very high that they'll be adopted and they won't have to you know sit in a shelter until then so it does make me happy yes for sure and they've already lived in a home environment so <laughs> yeah so you're able to kind of prepare them for yeah, they're the world and yeah they they know what they're doing you know the hard work is done somebody just needs to let them have a house and feed them you know and, and of course give them love and servitude so how many pets do you have i have just one i have a dog uh his name is ozzy he is incredibly lazy and old and crotchety but he's <laughs> that's he's okay awesome. exactly yeah. he's uh i have him as my my service dog um, his servicing has been uh, been on the lower end as he's gotten older, but you know he's he's always awesome. And people love to take. It's so funny now that we live here in LA. People want to take pictures with him. They they I, I think it's just because he's cute and he doesn't look like a golden retriever. Um, but, but people seem to like him. So I'm hoping one day that will translate into him becoming a superstar and paying off his debt to me for all the dog food that I've bought him over the. <laughs> Yeah, Ozzy will be the new icon of service dogs. Like that. I would love yeah. or, or be on a dog food box. I'm totally okay with that. Hey, he can do it. Why not? Exactly. <laughs> we do live in LA. I mean, people get discovered every day. So why not a dog? Exactly. <laughs> so is he okay being cooped up or is he always wanting well, to go outside? He's lazy. Right now he's laying at the end of my bed. So he's, oh. by, you know, he's one of those is, uh, 
you know, as, as my freelancing became a big thing and we were going out every night, he would, you know, about six o'clock he's done. And he's just like, he looks at me and he's like, why do we have to go back out again? And, but at the same time, he also, he was a rescue. So he has a lot of anxiety. So oh, sure. at home because then he'll get very nervous. So I'm like, well, you don't want to stay at home, but you don't want to come with. So you have to make up your mind. So he begrudgingly would go to, uh, to stuff and then sleep through the entire movie or event or whatever. So he is totally happy with the fact that nobody's leaving the house. Okay. Yeah. Otherwise it's like, is this movie Ozzy approved if he stayed awake through it? I remember. Most things aren't unfortunately, because he's no. through everything. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, does he ever react to anything on screen? I remember my dog used to, if there was, if the score was too loud, there were too many drums, she would run in the other room. Like, does Ozzy have no, any he's, objections? He's mellow. Yeah. I, I mean, I used to get nervous that like if a dog barked or a doorbell rang, he uh, yeah. nervous, um, but he really doesn't, at least not anymore. He's more nervous if we go to a movie theater if there's like somebody hiding in the shadows, his vision's not that great. So sure. he, gets, he gets very stressed out if there's somebody waiting to find their seat uh, more than more than anything on the screen. Gotcha. Well, it sounds like he's a good companion to have right now during quarantine time. Are there any movies that you're going for for like comfort? Are there any favorites you want to recommend to us that you've been watching lately? Oh my gosh. So I actually went through before I abandoned it because I was just watching so many things. Um, I went through I went through a couple movies that I love to revisit, you know, Knives Out and uh, Oh yeah. The Bling Ring. So those are kind of my, Sophia Coppola movies are always my comfort, even though they're, you know, usually very depressing. Um, <laughs> so and Lady Bird is, is another one, Little Women. So those are the, the ones that I've been really into. Um, and then TCM has been really great about showing stuff. You know, they're doing a Peter Bogdanovich retrospective right now. So I'm prepping to, to rewatch Paper Moon, which oh, is one I love that. Uh, it's so it's, it's a good time to be watching movies. TCM this morning just did a creature feature thing. So it's always great to watch Creature from the Black Lagoon and Attack of a <laughs> Woman. Um, so, so those are, I've been watching a lot of content just to both new and, and rewatch. That's a good idea. Do you use Letterboxd to like track your viewing oh, yeah. at all? <laughs> yeah, my Letterboxd is my is my bosom buddy. I track everything. So, and I'm oh, thinking great. about I I've contemplated doing something with you know Instagram or Facebook Live in terms of like sharing. This is what I'm watching. This is what I'm watching. <laughs> uh, but I haven't haven't settled on any of that yet. Okay. Well, I'm definitely going to link to your letterbox here. Do you leave like diary entries on any of these movies? I'm really or bad about that. I used to link to my reviews um, either on my blog or outside. And since I haven't been reviewing film as much, I haven't been keeping up to date. But I do have you know lists of favorite movies, and you can see you know the the weird celebrities that I'm binging usually because I document it all. So it's a really good time capsule of my thought process. I know. I love to look back. It's like I hate slapping a bunch of stars on a movie, but it's good to look back when you're trying to figure out like the best first watches you had that month or what you were yeah. watching last year. It is. It's interesting for sure. Exactly. Yeah, and I'm I'm always always interested in if it's something I have rewatched and then I've already marked it. If I 
if I liked it more or less and been like, uh-huh. why did I mark it four stars? It sucks. So it's <laughs> great to kind of revisit and chart those progressions into whether something has withstood the test of time or not. Yeah, it is interesting to look back on a movie like I thought I disliked or vice versa. And then suddenly that movie is wonderful or, oh, my God, why did I ever like this? It's really interesting to see how that changes with age and experience because you go through things and you're like, why was this ever funny? But exactly. exactly. Yeah. So so letterboxes, I, I chart everything on that. Oh, I love it. Well, I want to thank you so much, Kristen, for talking to us today and sharing your views. You're always so insightful and just thoughtful and eye-opening. I love it. I always learn when I talk to you or interact with you on Twitter. So I'm sure everybody right now is just loving this discussion and hearing all of your thoughts. So I really want to thank you so much. Thank you. Anytime. I'm always excited to especially with female created projects. I mean, it's always great when more women are entering the podcast sphere. So anytime I can impart some, some wisdom or what I consider wisdom, I'm always. It is. (laughs) No, I love it. And thank you so much again. Well, I wish you luck on everything you're doing on IndieWire and everything else. You've got so many things going on. Yes. Yeah. So I hope you have a really good week. Stay safe. And we'll be, I know I'm going to have you back for sure, because you're just a delight. So (laughs) anytime, anytime. This is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com or filmintuition on social media and letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen and Friends. 